Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. <laughs> Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. So 13-3, the Blue Jays hammer Baltimore to move within one game of the AL East lead. Michael Saunders, three homers, eight RBIs. The Edmonton Oilers have re-signed Tyler Pitlick to a one-year two-way contract towards a reported $725,000. Remember, the Oilers took him 31st overall back in 2010. Pitlick already 24 and still uh, fighting to become, well, he's nowhere near being an NHL regular. We will see how this season goes for him. CFL preseason action tonight. Hamilton leads Ottawa 31-14 late third quarter. Same part of the game. Montreal's up 15-3 on Toronto. And Calgary and BC about to get started. Eskimos home to the Rough Riders tomorrow. Get it on 6.30, Ched. Game will start at 2. Our coverage will start at 12.30. And, of course, uh, expect the starters to see action in the first half. The hopefuls to make the team, to be mixed in throughout the game. Here's head coach Jason Moss. Part of that, to be honest with you, is the player. I mean, some guys need want more work in the preseason. Other guys are good after a quarter or after a couple series. You know, Mike won't play a whole lot, um, but uh, you know the other guys. You know, you got you got to get them reps. And we've talked to some of them that are the older veteran guys that we know are going to make our team to say how much do you really need? Because at the end of the day, we need them ready when we face Ottawa. This game's all about getting ready for that. Also want to update the U.S. Open. So Andrew Landry and Dustin Johnson are both at four under par. Johnson played 36 holes today, shot 67-69. Landry's only played one round. So he plays round two early tomorrow. Lee Westwood is three under. Shane Lowry is uh, two under along with Sergio Garcia. They've uh, uh, Scott Piercy's also two under. There's a mix of guys. and I mean, some guys have played both rounds. Some guys have only played one. So... It'll kind of shake itself out a little bit more tomorrow, but Dustin Johnson playing pretty well. See if he can finish it off as uh, we go into the weekend here. Inside Sports on 630, Chad. My name is Reed Wilkins. I don't know, you you saw this today, Matthew. Well, this has been going on for a while, but the, the, the entire Russian track and field team has been banned from competing in Rio. Just with all the doping stuff, they just said, we're not, forget it. You're not going. You're bad boys. Go sit in the Russian corner. Good. <laughs> so Jen Heil, Olympian from Spruce Grove, won a uh, gold and a silver in her Olympic career in the Moguls, won several world championships. She's going to join us tonight to talk some Olympics, some other initiatives she's involved in. Always great to have Jen on the show. And we will close out Father's Day week on Inside Sports with my dad, James Robert Wilkins.
before 9 o'clock tonight. You ready for that? I am. I have be no exciting. idea what he's going to say. He might not even be awake right now. We might be waking him up when we call him. I don't know what he's doing. Now, Jose Bautista, by the way, to get back to the Blue Jays stuff, he's on the 15 DL with a sprained left big toe. Which in hockey terms is a lower body injury. Baseball is a little more exact. They get they didn't just say sprained toe. They didn't just say sprained big toe. Sprained left big toe. You know exactly what his injury is. So Rugnet Odor knows exactly where to punch him the next time they fight. At Euro, Czech Republic and Croatia tied 2-2. Italy beats Sweden 1-0. Spain clinches a spot in the next round. They trounced Turkey 3-0. The NBA Finals will be decided on Sunday night. Are you going to watch that one, Panasic? little Game 7 action? All the marbles? All the NBA marbles on the line. All those basketball-sized marbles on the line. Do you realize, Reed, what? that nobody, nobody in the M- history of the NBA has come back from a 3-1 series deficit to win the championship? In the Finals. Yeah, in the Finals. I do realize that. Well, Jack mentioned it earlier. But yes. Isn't that something? Well, how many times it happened in the NHL? Once? Good point. It almost happened for us. It almost happened for the... I think in the, in the Stanley Cup final, it's happened once, and that was 3 nothing. Was that the 42 Leafs in Detroit? So, yeah. It's happened... Three ones happened a lot more in other rounds in the NHL, but I think in the Stanley Cup final, it's just happened once. Philadelphia came back on the Oilers in 87 to force a Game 7 from 3-1 down, and the Oilers won the series. New Flames head coach Glenn Gullitson is coming up in uh, about five or six minutes here inside Sports on 630 Chet. we got so much fine programming on this show. We've got a new feature here tonight, Matthew. We're going to keep an eye on some of the best from the, the, what I think is the best show on this station. I don't know why it doesn't get a better time slot. It's on from 1 a.m. to like 5.15 or something every morning. I like it so much I don't even actually know when it ends, but it starts at 1 in the morning. Coast to coast AM, right? Here's a highlight from the show earlier today. Could you see the uh, what the shape of that donut, whatever it might have been, in that green fog or mist that we hear so we much about? We could see the fog, but we could not see any kind of a donut field. But we could not see any kind of a donut field. Kind of a donut field. What? I'm talking about donut fields? That is pretty paranormal. I think the next segment was about bagel auras. Then they did stuff on muffin ghosts. What kind of donut fields, though? Was it chocolate-sprinkled donut fields or just normal donut fields? Well, I think that's where the conversation went, is that certain types of donuts give off different fields, depending on their energy, their topping, their filling, their glaze, perhaps. Their texture. Like you would expect a cruller to have a different field than perhaps a heavier donut. You're right. I've heard them talk about this before on Coast to Coast. Lots they get they get lots of phone calls about donuts on the air. Lots of phone calls. So that's something we're gonna be uh, doing now, a new feature on the show. The best of coast to coast AM. Is it on tonight though, going into the weekend? Oh you bet, buddy. It's oh, on till it's great. on one to six. Oh, it's an extra time because Bruce isn't on tomorrow. This is incredible. Well, set your PVR for your radio. 
<laughs> it's Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. Back to the sports discussion after this break with new Calgary Flames head coach Glenn Gullitson. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent-Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. Friday night, Inside Sports on 630 Chad. Hope you have a great weekend planned. Father's Day on Sunday, that's going to be a great day. Eskimos play tomorrow. The Calgary Flames have a new head coach. Here's Brendan Ulrich. Uh, joined by the new head coach of the Calgary Flames, Glenn Gullitson. Glenn, uh, an exciting day. How are things going? Oh yeah, it's been real exciting and uh, it's it's busy as you guys know. It's busy, so I'm uh, but I'm real excited. I got a little juice because uh, uh, it's, it's nice to be here in Calgary and finally get this done. Yeah, well, um, as we learned today, you uh, spent some time uh, in Las Vegas and of course that was the Flames' uh, UCHL affiliate, so you're back uh, with the Flames organization. Uh, you spent some time, of course, with Dallas and uh, Vancouver most recently, but uh, now you're back in Calgary with the organization. How did all this sort of work out and get to this point now to be the head coach of the Flames? Yeah, boy, it was a long process. I um, Starting way back when uh, Brad was over in Russia, um, he'd asked permission to talk with me, uh, with Jim Benning, and um, you know, we just had a few phone conversations. It started off kind of casual, and then I uh, I had a little uh, meeting with uh, Craig Conroy. He flew into Vancouver to talk with me, and we we ended up climbing a, the grouse grind there together and just kind of talking hockey and having a little lunch. And uh, then uh, it was uh, two more interviews here in Calgary, and uh, all of a sudden I'm down to the final three, and, um, boy, it, it worked out good for me. Yeah, and uh, this is your second go-around here as a head coach in the NHL. Um Lots I want to talk to you about, but just in terms of you as a coach here, your second go in the NHL, anything you plan to do uh, differently this time around now that, you've, now that you've had a chance sort of to step back as an assistant? Oh, yeah, this, certainly. The last five years of uh, being in the league and um, just being around other coaches, uh, other coaches that won the Stanley Cup, other assistant coaches with a great deal of experience, uh, you know, like Perry Pern and uh, John Tortorella, Mike Sullivan, who just won the Cup, uh, Willie Desjardins. You, you learn, you learn from each of those guys in your conversations and your, uh, in your talk, Dougie Lidster. So, you know, you bring all that, a little bit of that stuff with you. And uh, I don't know if there's any major changes. Uh, I guess though the experience in the league is probably the biggest change. These last five years of uh, you know, watching uh, 1,500 games at this level and pre-scouts and all that stuff that you have a pretty good idea of what works and what doesn't. Well, you mentioned uh, some changes here in the game. Um, you know, watching Pittsburgh win the Stanley Cup and play with such speed, and uh, you talked a little bit about that uh, in your avail earlier today about how you want to play a connected five-man unit. Uh, you talked about possession, how it doesn't always mean, you know, having the puck, but getting the puck back and playing fast defensive hockey. It really seems like you have the horses here in Calgary on that back end to sort of play that style that you're hoping to play. Yeah, and that's what I looked at. And, uh, and certainly I played them enough, uh, played Calgary enough when I was in Vancouver to take a look at their strengths. And uh, 
Uh, was one of the things in my interview. Uh, you, you look at that back end with four 40-plus defensemen and uh, some puck movers, and uh, you know you got good depth back there too. And uh, then uh, the young speed up front. You know I really want to play a game where we're connected. We're not giving away lines. We're defending real fast. Um, you know we're we're trying to push push the tempo and offensively we're fighting for the lines and, and getting pucks and that doesn't mean not dumping the puck in it's but you know when you have to dump the puck in you're supported with with four check and guys that you can you know you can retrieve things so want to play a real fast connected game here and I, we feel we have the uh, the players to do that it, it is interesting, uh, Glenn. You look at uh, well here in Edmonton, we're debating on how the Oilers should play. Should they try uh-huh. to try to mimic the the Pens and play that speed style hockey, or you know we know what the West is all about. It's big, tough, grind them out hockey as well. So, I guess how do you find that balance in terms of what you feel your team needs to do to be successful? Well, I, I think with in the West especially, you need a blend and. Uh, you know, you, every team has their their heavy players, and they're going to have to play heavy. And your your guys that aren't heavy have to play with speed, but have to compete too uh, uh, in, in the hard areas. So you got to push. You know, you got to push to get that out of all your all your players. But you also have to make sure that they're playing within their strengths too. So I think the West is the blend, and uh, with the identity that you want to give each of your players, you you give them uh, a role and uh, and hold them accountable to play that way. And um, your heavy guys, like I said, will have to play heavy. Your speed guys got to play speed and compete, and your puck movers got to move and skate. And so, I mean, um, you're going to have to play a, bend, a, a little bit of a blend in the West, but you also got to play the players you have. Glenn Gallitzin, the new head coach of the Calgary Flames, joining us here on uh, Inside Sports. Um, you've had a chance to uh, work with uh, some young players in the past. Uh, of course, your time uh, in the AHL with uh, Dallas's organization, then moving up to the big level. Uh, you worked with Jamie Benn at that time. Um, in Vancouver, there's been a bit of a youth uh, movement here the last couple of years of players like Vertanen. And now you're going to Calgary. And you look at all the young talent on this roster with uh, Goudreau, uh, Bennett, and a Monahan. You must be pretty excited about that. Yeah, no question. The, you know, the players are so good, and they, especially these young players, and they're so they're so good to work with. And um, you know, they, they they play such a high pace skill game. You know, they can all shoot, they can all skate, and uh, you know, they they've got energy. They bring juice to the table and to your team, and you surround them with the right veterans that I think we have here. It's a, it's a good mix, and um, you know, there's been a lot of good things done here with 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 Bob as far as you know setting a mentality and the the work ethic and um, we just want to build on those things and then maybe try to connect a few other things up that might suit our players needs and and keep moving forward but it's exciting with this young talent on the group in the group well with that young talent that you've been described as a a player's coach and uh, I I listened to your avail you talked about you know building relationships with those players and how key that is Um, just maybe touch on that but at the same time Knowing that you need to uh, to lay down the law, I guess at times, uh, especially with young players, maybe not lay down the law, but the game has changed to a point where a coach, as you talked about, needs to build relationships with the young players and and especially with a new team. Yeah, and and I would say all players too, Brennan. Like um, you got to build relationships and create an emotional bank account, and uh, it's I'm not talking warm and fuzzy, but you got to care about your players and. I think players coach sometimes gets uh, misconstrued for, for, hey, I want to be their buddy, you know, and uh, th- that's not what it is. It's actually just caring about him and building trust and, and recognizing him for the things he's doing well and, 
And when you need to, if you create that trust and that emotional bank account that I like to like to think about is, then you can withdraw from it. And uh, any good player, any, players that are at this level and guys that play in the NHL, they they want to be pushed. They want to get to their max. These are the elite guys. And uh, but when you got a base, you get you, you it allows you to push, and uh, your players get better. All right, and um, when they get better, they don't resent the push. They actually embrace it, and and, and they play harder. Uh, just a couple more uh, quick hitters for you, Glenn. Um, sure. Just uh, your wife's from Calgary, is she not? So she must be excited. Yeah, yeah. It, it's uh, <laughs> she she is excited. She has a lot of friends here, and um, but I, I can tell you, like any, uh, the, there's so many nice cities out west. Our kids absolutely loved it in Vancouver, and so did my wife. And uh, that'll be a hard move for them, um, just uprooting and friends and all that thing. But we couldn't be more fortunate to be in a city like Calgary, where we're familiar. We have family. The kids are familiar too. So it'll, it'll make that transition easier, and and we're excited about that. Uh, just here in Edmonton, we're uh, sort of waiting the return of the Battle of Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> and when you yeah. look at all the young talent on both teams, it seems like uh, it's slowly uh, about to heat up. Would you not agree? <laughs> yeah, that was exciting for me, to be honest with you. You know, I've coached against Todd when I was in Dallas and uh, and, and Jay there and Jimmy. So they, I know what a good job they do. But this young group, this this young talent on both sides is really exciting. And uh Boy, wouldn't that be nice, eh, to get that rivalry right pumped up, battling tooth and nail to the finish line? I think that would get the juices here in Alberta going. Well, and you also maybe have a rivalry uh, brewing with Vancouver as well, so that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah for sure I'm going to have one with Willie. For sure i got to have one. So, uh, Just before we let you go, of course, the NHL expanding uh, to Vegas. Uh, we'll wait for official word. But you spent some time in Las Vegas, Glenn. Uh, so I just wanted to get your take on that because it seems like some people think this will work. Some people think it won't work at all. Uh, where do you stand on the NHL being the first, uh, you know, sports uh, or pro sports franchise to move into Vegas? Yeah, I think that um, first of all, I, I, I lived there for six years. I have two two children that are born in Las Vegas, and um, you know, I was I considered myself a local there. There's a population certainly to support it. One, two is the local people there would could really use, and 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 I think are dying for something to unite or galvanize them um, of their own franchise. There's not a big there's UNLV there, but you know, in in the south there, college colleges usually take. Uh, uh, a lot of the limelight, but uh, UNLV um, isn't as big as other Southern colleges. I, I think there's no other professional sports teams. If if uh, there's a lot of passion with the owner and um, with uh, Mr. Foley, and if he starts, he, you know, he's planning on building an arena in Summerlin, and and uh, if he builds one in Summerlin and Henderson and and North Vegas, kind of like the Dr. Star Centers in in Dallas, and he and he grows it from the grassroots, I think there's a chance to uh, certainly garner the attention of the locals and kind of making it their own team and uh, in that case I think it would work the arena is in a perfect spot and uh, it's a beautiful arena I think it has certainly a chance if they do it do it the way they they think they want to do it yeah I'm with you I, I hope and think it will work as well so we'll see what happens uh, congratulations on being the new head coach of the Calgary Flames and thanks for taking some time here on Inside Sports uh, in Edmonton really appreciate it no problem at all Brendan look forward to that battle of Alberta
You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Well, great to get Glenn Gullison on the show, new head coach of the Calgary Flames. Thanks to Brendan Ulrich for doing that interview this afternoon. And as I was making my way back from the Gary Dreger San Jose Anonymous Golf Tournament in Spruce Grove, Tyler Pitlick re-signed by the Edmonton Oilers for one year. It's a two-way deal. You can get more on that on the Oilers page on 630Ched.com. Eskimos Rough Riders preseason tilt tomorrow at the Brick Field at Commonwealth Stadium. Coverage on 630 Ched will commence at 12.30 in the afternoon. The game kicks off at 2. Uh, the Olympics in Rio, less than two months away, the acting governor of Rio has declared, uh, declared a state of financial disaster. A lot of controversy, a lot of worry leading up to these games. To discuss that, two-time Olympic medalist in moguls from Spruce Grove, Alberta, Jen Heil. Jen, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a couple of years since we talked. You've been keeping busy? Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, well, what's uh, what's the transition been like from from busy athlete to busy post uh, athletic career? <laughs> it's been a bit nuts. I've uh, decided to pack a lot into it, but um, I graduated from McGill uh, two years after retiring with a BCom. It took me ten years to get it, but I do have the paper. Uh, not in a frame or anything, but it's somewhere in a closet. Um, but that was a proud moment. And then I've since had two little boys. I have a one- and three-year-old little boy. So that's a whole new level of busy. And if Olympic athletes thought that it was tiring, you know, practicing your sport every day, try being a parent. <laughs> Training some future Olympians, I hope. That sounds great. <laughs> hey, I, I want to ask you about some of the Olympic news that's been going on as we lead into Rio. But but I want you to touch on uh, the one of the many organizations that you're involved in, but because I am a girl, let people know what that does and, and your involvement in it, because I know you're really passionate about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I received so much from the community, from Edmonton and um, from Montreal in terms of, you know, business leaders supporting me and, and my vision and my dreams. And, um, you know, I've always felt a strong desire to support community and, and understand how important that is. So, I'm involved in a no, number of different organizations from sport um, all the way to because I'm a girl and focusing on supporting girls' education around the world and making sure they have the tools um, so that they can live a fulfilling life because in the develop, developing world, girls are um, often, you know, have a double disadvantage because they're poor um, and because they're girls and they don't have the same opportunities, including getting an education at the rate um, that the boys do. So I've focused a lot on that and raised them a million dollars uh, for education, and then I continue um, to be an active ambassador. Well, I think that's a great point. And, and Jen, by no means am I going to suggest things are perfect in Canada or that we have complete gender equality, because I, I think we both know there are still issues. But it, but through your travels, you must have been too ex exposed to situations in other nations that maybe you, maybe made you think, or maybe did you ever have that moment where, my goodness, I'm lucky I, I was born and raised in Canada? Yeah, I mean, really from the start of my international career and the biggest gift sport gave me, or one of the biggest gifts, was seeing the world. And um, it doesn't take long before you realize how lucky we are to be Canadian. You know, I visited a lot of classrooms in the developing world, and 
And, you know, the dreams are no different in those classrooms. You know, girls and boys want to be, you know, the future leaders of their countries and lawyers and doctors. And if you, you went into a Canadian classroom, you hear the same things. The difference is we have the opportunities um, to live out our dreams. So absolutely, we're extremely fortunate. There's still a lot of work to do across the board um, and around the world in terms of gender equality, but we're, we're one of the leaders. Jen Heil joining us on Inside Sports. And, and speaking of, of your travels, that's, that's one thing I want to bring into this conversation because there is an Olympic Games coming up in less than a couple of months in Brazil. And as you probably know, and I had Scott Russell on last week, and we sort of semi-joked about this, before every Olympic Games, almost everyone, well, it's going to be a disaster. This isn't ready. You know, the, the, these conditions aren't good. The politics are bad. In Brazil, there's the stories about the water's not healthy, all that kind of stuff. But through not just you being in the Olympics, but you having been on, on the World Cup circuit and competing for World Championships and all that, it, it must be, you must be exposed to many different levels or di- different standards of, of what would be considered a, a well-run competition or acceptable accommodations or anything like that. Yeah, I've, I've seen a full spectrum of, um, <laughs> of everything from accommodations and I've lived it to, as you said, um, the level of, of competition in terms of organization and being run. And there's absolutely a lot of truth about it. There's often, you know, <clears throat> alarm being raised and concerns being raised ahead of Olympic Games from security um, to how ready the venues are. I'd say, unfortunately, we've never seen so many issues um, being raised all at once and, and, and many of them out of Brazil's control. So for sure there's a level um, – you know, of, of attention and scrutiny that, that gets zoomed in onto a host nation every Olympic Games. But in this case, there are certainly more concerns and more challenges than we're used to seeing for, for Brazil and for Rio. Did you ever have a, a circumstance in your career where you felt unsafe, uncomfortable, anything from maybe, I don't know how healthy this food is, I don't know if a cockroach is going to crawl across my face in the middle of the night <laughs> or to the or to a fact where I don't know if this venue could be threatened by someone once I'm going there to compete. Yeah, well, I mean, I competed in the 2002 Olympics, so that was right after in Salt Lake City, which was right after 9-11, and there was a lot of concerns about security and, um, you know, if the security would be breached during the Olympics. So we were, and that was really new, you know, having to deal with, um, security at that level where we had snipers in, in the trees that you could see going up the chairlift. And um, since 2002, it's been really regular um, occurrence for every venue and for the athletes have to go through metal detectors and the cars, you know, are there's checkpoints for the cars looking for bombs um, as you go into the Olympic Village. So security has certainly changed since 2002. Um, and so I think the athletes are now aware of it we also have gotten used to living in you know the context where there is more security every time we fly um and and we've come to accept that so certainly that i've i've also competed in very remote locations where basically the entire tour was sick um for finals for our final run because of the food and it being so foreign and and not necessarily up to our standards um, which is something that you want to avoid. Obviously, at the Olympic Games, when you have so much riding on this performance, which can make or break an entire career. So, um, certainly, 
I, I know the Canadian team were one of the best, uh, the Canadian Olympic Committee, in terms of being prepared as a country. Uh, they've had staff in and out of Brazil for the last few years, looking at every last detail that could impact an athlete's performance, um, you know, all the way down to the details of where the laundry machines are located in the village. So there's a very sophisticated approach um, to making sure that the venue um, can support the athletes and trying to minimize, you know, athletes getting sick and, and making sure they have um, access to the food they need to to perform. That's an incredible story about seeing snipers on the chairlifts and around you in Salt Lake City. Athletes don't reach the level you were at and the level Olympians are at without being physically and mentally tough. But for if there was a first-time Olympian, Canadian Olympian going to Rio, would you almost tell them whatever you think you've had to block out in the past when it when it comes to distractions, you're going to have to multiply that by five, ten. Like there's just so much more around you and, and going on. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, the Canadian Olympic Committee since about 2010, um, we started taking first-time Olympians to you know the the Olympics before as. Um, where, where they've been flagged to just as spectators so that they can see what an Olympic atmosphere is like because there's nothing like it and there's nothing like the pressure of an Olympics. And, and as you pointed out, I for sure Rio is going to have more distractions, I would think, than any other Olympic Games before it. So the team's job around the athlete is to minimize the distractions. Um, but then the athletes themselves have to be open and flexible um, in a high-stress moment, which is not always the easiest thing to do, uh, but certainly being aware of uh, a number of the challenges <clears throat> and what they might be facing talking about it before going over will be really important to making sure our team isn't distracted. Two-time Olympic medalist and moguls Jen Heil, Spruce Grove native, joining us tonight inside sports on 630. Chet. Jen, I want to ask you about a big story here that's going to affect Rio, and Anything to do with doping is always quite controversial, headline-grabbing. It gets fans talking. And there's news today that Russia's entire track and field team banned from competing in the Rio Olympics. I can't remember something like this ever happening before. Is this, is this actually going to make a dent? Is this going to make the, the people who are doping stand up and say, oh, my God, look what's, what's going on? How do you see the potential impact of this? Yeah, well, this is completely unprecedented, as you said. No nation has ever been banned from competing at the Olympics because of doping infractions. So this is sending a very strong message to you know countries that have statewide doping programs because Russia is said not to be the only one. Kenya and Ethiopia's names have been raised <clears throat> in this context. But this is this is the biggest fish, and so this is sending a very strong message. And I know a lot of athletes within athletics, uh, nobody expected them to actually be banned. So I think the, you know, athletic community and Olympians applaud this decision. It certainly wasn't an easy decision to, to make, I'm, I'm sure. But this sends a very strong message. There's a lot of work um, that still needs to be done across the board, but it's a very, very important first step. Yeah, I agree. Jen, it's great to catch up with you. Glad everything is going well for you. Uh, you know, I hope your sons are now loyal inside sports listeners at the ages of one and three. <laughs> I got to start them young. Thanks so much for sharing your opinions and your experiences tonight. I hope we can do this again. Thanks for having me. Look forward to chatting again. Right on. That is the pride of Spruce Grove, Jen Heil, two-time Olympic medalist. Great insight there into traveling, 
visiting different countries, cities, venues uh, when she was doing moguls and in the Olympics and all the World Cups. And certainly, sometimes you step into a different world than what you've been exposed to growing up in Canada. This portion of the show brought to you by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. Visit actionfurnace.ca. We've been doing some very special Father's Day segments this week on Inside Sports. We save the best one for last. My dad is up next. Hi, this is Taylor Hall from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Well, you know, Taylor Hall's dad played in the Canadian Football League as we take you into Father's Day on Sunday. Michael Saunders, three home runs for the Jays. They crush Baltimore 13-3. Jose Bautista's on the 15-day DL with a sprained left big toe. The United States Open, round two suspended. Dustin Johnson has played two rounds. He's four under. Andrew Landry has played one round. He is four under. They are tied atop the leaderboard. Reed Wilkins with you inside sports on 630 Chat. So this week, uh, what did we do? We had Mark Letestu and his dad. We had Mike Riley's dad on. We had the Cordy boys on, the dad and two sons. Uh, he's coaching U of A football, used to play. They play U of A football. We had uh, Kale Clegg and his dad, Jason Clegg, on the show. So we've been doing this stuff, and you know we're booking guests, and people are saying to me, are you going to have your own dad on? I was like, ah, I don't know, I don't know. And finally, I'm like, all right, this going to do it. To wrap up Father's Day week on Inside Sports, I'm going to have my own dad on the show. I want to welcome to Inside Sports, the biggest influence in my life, Bob Wilkins. Bob, how are you doing? Oh, just great. Thanks, Reed. Yeah, How thank are you. Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for making time for me. I oh. hope you were listening to the show anyway. Yes, I was, as I always do. Well, there we go. I got one loyal listener at least. Oh, two. Don't forget mom. Well, and my mother. There we go. All right. So, uh, thanks for making time for the show tonight. You know, it, it's funny. I talk about you as being my primary influence in uh, in liking sports and then pursuing a, a career in sports. And in my mind, it's just something I've always liked and been interested in. But I, I've never asked you this question in my 42 years of existence. Was there a moment when you noticed, oh, this little guy, this little kid, seems to like whatever's happening on the TV or on the field or whatever? Uh, probably it was when you were still a babe in arms. And uh, one night you were kind of... Uh, distraught with something i don't know what it was so i mom said take him and put him on a pillow so i put you on a pillow took you into the bedroom we had a tv in the bedroom turned on the hockey game and uh, shortly after that i noticed that your head was turned and it was turned towards the tv and you were quiet and i thought isn't this interesting that may have been the, the very first sign oh wow do you remember what teams were playing uh, no. I remember it was a black and white TV. Well, uh, yeah, I think I had that TV in my room. I think that was the first TV I was allowed to have in my room later, yeah, later well, on. It wasn't your room at that time. It was the bed, our bedroom, and uh, that's where I went and just sat on the edge of the bed and uh, kind of rocked you a little bit. Uh, but uh, your head turned, your eyes didn't close. You just watched the screen. All right. Well, I was, I was clearly fascinated. Now, I remember... Uh, I remember, like vaguely remember, going to Oilers games when they when they played in the World Hockey Association. I think it was their last season in the WHA. Am I correct that those were the, the first family outings going to a pro sporting event? 
Probably yes, and the one that I remember the most was, and I don't, so I don't know whether this was the old league or the or the NHL league, but uh, um, the Oilers were playing Montreal, and the game was tied, I believe, and at the very last minute or so, uh, Montreal scored a goal, and at that point in time. Uh, uh, sorry, no, the Oilers scored the goal. And at that point in time, you were a Montreal fan. And that really upset you. And the reason you were probably a Montreal fan is because I was back uh, when we lived back east. So that uh, that is the only game I remember us, the uh, uh, first one that I can have any memory of us going. I, I, I actually remember that. And it, I, I was mad at the Oilers for a few years, and I think I kind of yes. didn't cheer for them. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and that was, and it was good because I, I was pretty young. I was probably like seven, and I was comfortable having two favorite teams, and the game was going to end in a tie. There was no overtime. And then I, I, I want to say it was Dave Hunter that got the yes, goal. Yes, it but, was. Yeah. Yep. So there it we was. go. <laughs> yep. So remember that. So uh, that made me mad at the Oilers for a few years. And now I get mad at them for entirely different reasons. Well, but but okay. anyway. Uh, so uh, so you and I still watch a lot of games together. We went to our first uh, Major League Baseball game together in 2006 uh, at Comerica Park in Detroit. Yep. Do you want <laughs> With the lovely, with the lovely want, hamburger. Why don't we tell... We, listen, we got time for one more story. Why don't... Why don't you tell the story about eating at the the big boy in Comerica yeah, Park? So we we went in. I hadn't eaten. I don't I don't know what time the game started, but we had hadn't eaten. So we were looking, and there was hardly anybody there, as I recall. Well, we got there as soon as the gates early. opened. Yeah, yeah, right. And so we're looking around in places, and uh, and there was this big boy place, Amber, and I'd always heard advertisements for big boy. So I thought, well, let's go. I'll go try a big boy. So uh, I bought a. I guess just a regular type hamburger. I don't really remember anything really special about it before I bought it. I remember a lot of special about it after I bought it because it was uh, probably the worst hamburger I've ever had in my life. It was cold, kind of coolish to begin with. It wasn't really hot and it wasn't really cold, but it just uh, wasn't where you would expect it to be, and it was quite bland, it quite was ordinary. In fact... It was it was bland to the point where it didn't taste good. Well, wasn't it actually cold and pink in the middle? No, I don't remember that. Okay, but it well, might have been. Well, I remember it did not look one bit appetizing, even no, before it, you yeah, told me it was cold. It was, yes, aesthetically, it was not a good meal. <laughs> well, that was our first uh, big league game. All right, well, Bob, thanks for coming on Inside Sports. Fun way to wrap up Father's Day week. We didn't, we didn't get. I guess we'll have to have you on again so you can give me your two biggest complaints about sports. Oh, I have three now. Okay, touchbacks in the NFL, timeouts in the NBA. What's now the third one? Penalties in hockey. Well, what's there's always penalties in hockey. I know, but I don't like that they're not calling the proper one. Well, you should call into overtime open line someday. I probably should. Bob, I'll see you later tonight. Yep. Okay. That is my dad, Bob Wilkins, wrapping up Father's Day week here on Inside Sports. That was fun. Oh, no, it's the littlest home. My dad hated this show. My dad hated this show. (laughs) Thanks to our guests tonight. Besides my dad, you also heard from Jen Heil, Glenn Gullitson, Nick Holden from the Avalanche, Lana Nordland from Santa's Anonymous, Rod Peterson from the Rough Riders broadcast booth, Jack Michaels, and Jay Onright. What a show. 
Thanks to everybody who texted and called as well. We had an interesting phone call right off the top. Tomorrow on 6.30, Chet, 12.30 pregame show, 2 o'clock kickoff, Eskimos and Rough Riders. Matthew Panaschik's your studio producer, Dave Campbell, will celebrate his first Father's Day on Sunday. He's the producer of the show. My name is Reed Wilkins. I'm Bob and Louise's son. Thanks for tuning in. Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.